if only. The regret hung heavy in their hearts. So much had changed in the few minutes that transpired in the shade of the sprawling branches under that beautiful tree. It had seemed innocent enough. Just a taste. It was only a bite. Then the boast of superiority. The creature assured them of the fruit's power. He said it would make them wise, on par with God. Enlightenment promised to the brave ones who dare partake of the forbidden fare. Insight into virtue and villainy readily assured to anyone who dared eat from the tree. And that part was true. Instantly, they felt the flood of understanding, the knowledge of all that was good, but simultaneously the dark foreboding of evil revealing the contrasts of dread and delight in this newly discovered gift. It seemed so right in the moment, but suddenly the shame of regret replaced the euphoria of newfound freedom. The enlightenment of knowledge also brought with it the understanding of the consequences of disobedience, innocence lost in a moment, and the crushing load of guilt fell across their shoulders. A dark cloud of remorse dimmed their outlook and filled them with the pain of disappointment. How could they ever face God again? Why? Why did they listen to that snake? Why did they so easily believe his lie? It was obviously a script intentionally written to expose their weaknesses, prey upon their innocence. They should have known better. God, who had spoken life to them, would have never harmed them. He was always loving, made so many other beautiful things. He always provided an abundance of delicious food, delicious fruits they could partake of, but they took one bite. They never should have questioned God's motives or doubted his instructions. Now that's over, and now they lived with regret and quaked in fear of God coming to visit just as he had always done. When they realized they were naked, they hid themselves. They sought something to cover themselves. They sewed fig leaves together, but it was inadequate to cover their shame or their sin. If only they had just listened to God. That's a pretty heavy way to start the day, but the story gets better and a whole lot brighter. And you'll get to hear more of it right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast. Brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. It's great to have you on the podcast today. I am your host, L.J. Harry, and this is God's Word for Life companion podcast. Today we're taking a look at the Fall 2021 series, and this is called In the Beginning, and our lesson is Lesson 1.2. It's entitled God's Redemptive Plan, dated September 12th, 2021. If your local church has been teaching through God's Word for life, then you'll probably remember the story very well from your Bible study or your class on Sunday or whenever you were able to gather together as a church in worship. Today we're going to take a look at that story in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 to 15. So if you have your student guide with you, you can turn there to the lesson entitled God's Redemptive Plan, dated September 12th, 2021, or just simply turn in your Bible or click in your Bible on your phone, on your tablet, on your extremely technologically advanced Instapot. We're going to take a look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, 
because thou hast done this. Thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. I do love that promise of Genesis 3.15 that says, Yeah, devil, one day you're going to get a shot in on the Messiah, and you're going to bruise his heel. But when he's done with you, he's going to crush your head. That's a beautiful promise. But it all starts back in the beginning with the fall of humanity. The bitter story that quickly chased the narrative of creation and all that was good in the first pages of Genesis. It all began in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve were placed in that beautiful garden, the world was without sin, without shame. Never an offense against God. Peaceful harmony reigned over the land. It was a utopian paradise where everything was perfect by God's design. Have you ever tried to imagine what that would have been like? To live before there was any sin. What would a perfect world look like? I imagine it looked even better than the life people portray on social media. If you could take a look at the Garden of Eden, it probably looked like a page right out of a magazine. Speaking of magazines, Better Homes and Gardens is a magazine showcasing beautiful landscapes and gorgeous living spaces. But did you know it first launched as Fruit, Garden, and Home back in 1922? But then it revised its name two years later to Better Homes and Gardens. And all their photography of perfectly manicured lawns, vibrant floral accents, featured in nearly 100 years of publication. There's still never been a garden like Eden. This garden was God's design. Everything reflected His magnificent care, revealed His handiwork. God's ways are always the best ways. He offered every beautiful thing in the Garden of Eden to be available and under dominion to the first man and woman. His desire was for these humans to live there forever in peace. The Bible implies God enjoyed the walks in the garden with his creation. And even after the disruption of disobedience, God was setting a plan in place to bring us back into spiritual unity with him. He's even prepared a new place in the heavens where we will remain with him in perfect peace and perfect unity. Jesus said in John 14, In my Father's house are many mansions or many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. People often wonder why. Why would God place a tree of temptation in that beautiful, special, perfect garden? When God's wisdom and grace, he allowed this first couple to choose obedience or disobedience. That is what free will means. We have a choice, and that's a gift from God. God designed an opportunity for freedom, but also gave the option for slavery to sin and left us that choice. Adam and Eve quickly learned sometimes the option that seems to be greater freedom actually brings us into greater slavery. And most of the focus in the story of the fall or the failure of humanity, it centers on the restricted, prohibited, forbidden tree. But there were other fruitful trees in the garden. Among all the trees, one other was called the tree of life. It was given a name. Surely that would have been the most coveted tree, but if you had never seen death, what would be so special about life? Our mortality is what causes us to value the hope of more days and the blessing of long life. And knowing what we know now, surely Our first choice in the Garden of Eden would have been to make our way to the tree of life, eat its precious fruit, and live forever. 
However, even when offered life, sometimes we still make the wrong choices. Think about your life. What are some wrong choices you have made in life? And as you look back over those mistakes, what is your reaction to them? Is there a twinge of guilt or is there gladness? And if it's guilt, the beautiful thing is there's repentance. If you have gladness for it, the beautiful thing is there's still repentance where you can pray and repent and God will forgive you for the mistakes you've made. He'll forgive me for the mistakes I've made. Even the name of that tree was enticing. Who would not want some more understanding, some more knowledge that seemed to be out of reach, restricted, prohibited, forbidden? There's an old expression that says forbidden fruit tastes sweeter. Even Solomon said bread eaten in secret is pleasant. There's an assumption that whatever is prohibited is more coveted. And while the fruit of the tree promised the knowledge of good and evil, it would appear Adam and Eve's lust for the knowledge of evil far outweighed their desire for the knowledge of good. But that's human nature. We are drawn to stories of avarice, scandal, perversion. For some reason, evil has an allure to our baser nature. Peaks our curiosity, usually those sensational, sinful headlines of corruption and misbehavior and scandal and sin. They grab our attention. They pique our curiosity. Where God placed that prohibited tree in the garden, it provided an opportunity for rebellion. It provided an option for sin, for disobedience. Without that choice, the heart would have never been tested and the secret lust for forbidden fruit would have never been exposed. But sin must be uncovered. Sin must be removed. Sin cannot abide in the presence of our holy God. It has to be revealed, eradicated for the well-being of future generations. And listen God will not take away our right to choose. He allows us to make wrong choices and sometimes with disastrous results. But God's ways are right, always right, even when he allows us to make choices contrary to his purpose and his will. I've heard it said, well, must have been the will of God. God will never let anything happen that's not his will. That's not true, ladies and gentlemen. Look all throughout the scripture. So much happens that's not his will, and yet he allows it because he has given us a choice. Why? Why would people, one generation into the human race, why would people choose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil over the tree of life? This was not just a matter of temptation. It was a blatant choice to disobey. Adam and Eve may not have questioned God's commandment, but Neither were they committed to obey it. When the serpent began to question God's integrity, it turned their hearts toward rebellion. It opened up a window of doubt. Half God said, they might have thought, what What if everything God said isn't true? What if we could become like God's? What if we could know? What if? And after all those questions were posed, it was a very easy leap to doubt the word of God. And with the introduction of doubt, It was just a short step to disobedience. After planning those questions concerning God's character, then the serpent defied God's authority. God said, in the day you eat it, you'll die. The serpent said, you won't die. God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. God's keeping you from things. Can't you see? And Eve, Eve embraced that. When the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and eat. The enemy tries to get us to focus 
on what pleases us. His line is often, it tastes good, it looks good, it will make you better than others. Go ahead, take a bite. In 1 John chapter 2 identifies the source of all sin when John wrote all that is in the world. Here they are, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the serpent appealed to all those areas of temptation when he spoke to Eve, and she took the bait when she took the bite. Have you ever seen those situations where something obviously wrong was twisted into something to celebrate? When evil was spun to appear to be good? Produce from the forbidden tree may appear sweeter. It may even be pleasing to the taste, but it leaves an aftertaste of regret and becomes the fruit of disappointment and shame. No longer had the first couple tasted the fruit from the tree than their eyes were indeed open to the truth of their disobedience, the condemnation that attacked them. They cast away the remnants of their indulgence and they sought to hide from the God they had disobeyed. Because guilt and shame are byproducts of sin. Condemnation, that's the natural consequence of sin. Adam and Eve's guilt produced a desire to hide from the awful realization that they had disobeyed God. They gathered fig leaves and stitched a meager apron but it was insufficient to clothe them and cover them from the shame they felt. That's how sin works. It'll be a moment of indulgence, a moment of pleasure, and it can bring pleasure and enjoyment, but it's only temporary. The results of some sins are so devastating, they will bring bitter regret. Think about Moses, who delivered the Hebrew people, had many opportunities to indulge in every Egyptian pleasure while he was being raised in the house of royalty. However, according to Hebrews, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. It'd be good for all of us to recognize the brevity of life and the brevity of the pleasure of sin and avoid sin altogether. When God came to the garden to speak with Adam and Eve, we find the first recorded game of hide and seek. But this was no game. God knew where they were and what they had done. Nothing was hidden from him. Their attempt to hide from God, their efforts to cover their guilt, it was insufficient. This apron of fig leaves they sewed together did not shield them from this searching gaze of God as God called out to his creation. Where are you? And that awful, painful confession came out as Adam and Eve revealed the shame they felt. But here's what amazes me. God still went for them. Even when he knew their offense, their sin, their attempt to avoid him altogether, he still sought them out. He still clothed them and assured them that he still loved them in spite of their sin. Adam and Eve paid a high price. They were alienated from God because of sin. They were banished from the garden because of sin. God was disappointed, but he was merciful. His righteousness delivered this necessary sentence for their judgment. Some of the consequences they immediately felt. They would no longer enjoy the presence of God on their walks in the cool of the day like they had before they sinned. They would work and sweat to harvest sufficient food just to stay alive. Thorns and thistles, that would be the thorn in their side of their farming business. And Eve, I'm sorry, Eve, but you will experience 
unbelievable pain as you bring children into this world. Sin drove a wedge into their relationships. Division was this unwelcome result of their sin. Yet all was not lost. Even with the pronouncement of judgment for their disobedience, there was a glimmer of hope as God was defining this curse. As God declared defeat to the serpent and planted seeds of hope in the garden of their transgression, when he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Because Jesus came, we have hope. Because of his tremendous selfless sacrifice, no one needs to be lost. John wrote, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city. We read in Revelation 22. The tree of life will be restored. It will be back. And access given to anyone who believes in God and embraces the message of this glorious gospel. That's for that day. But how do we experience the gospel on this day? How does the gospel change our lives? Restores us in a right relationship with God. Restoration is available to all who come to God in humility and repentance. James wrote, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. From the introduction of sin into the Garden of Eden, God's purpose has been to see us restored to life, yet he will always leave that choice to us. Daily, we are offered the opportunity to make a choice to walk in obedience and live a life that honors and pleases him, to forsake sin, seek forgiveness. And if we will, we have this promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's wrap this episode up. What was lost in the Garden of Eden was restored at the cross. The tree of life was transplanted from the garden to Golgotha. Through the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, we have the promise of eternal life. That is why John the Baptist proclaimed Jesus to be the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And the gospel, his death, the burial, resurrection, provided salvation and the opportunity to be restored to the life lost in the garden due to sin. Thank God for his redemptive plan whereby we receive forgiveness for our sins and salvation for our souls. Would you pray with me? If you have never yet obeyed or responded to the gospel, what a great day to do that. An opportunity to have life restored to you just as God intended it to be. And one of these days, we'll have the opportunity to walk and talk with God, much like Adam and Eve did before sin because we will once again be restored to right relationship and perfect unity with the God who created us and came to save us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the gospel. God, I am sorry for sin that has ripped apart our relationship with you, that has divided us from you, separated us from you. I'm sorry, Lord, for what Adam and Eve did. I'm sorry for what I have done that has separated me from you. But I pray today, God, please forgive me. If there's anything in my life that shouldn't be there, God, please forgive me. Please cleanse me. I want to be right with you. I want to be in right relationship and right standing with you. For all those who are listening, I pray, God, you would restore them to right relationship with you. I pray you would work miracles and wonders in their life, namely the wonder and the miracle of salvation and forgiveness. Redeem us from our sin and save us 
unto yourself. I pray these things and give thanks to you for every wonder and miracle you will work in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this God's Word for Life podcast. Hope it's been encouraging to you and a blessing to you. Certainly starts off with bad news, ends up with much better news. If you're new to the podcast and you don't want to miss an episode, be sure to click on subscribe, and that way you can know every time an episode drops. And if you have not yet visited our website, go to godswordforlife.faith, and you'll be able to see all the resources you can use, the student guide you can download to follow along with us on this podcast. Since it is a companion podcast, you can follow right along and share with others what God is doing in your life. Next week, we're going to continue our walk through the book of Genesis, taking a look at the lesson entitled Offering Our Best. It's found in Genesis 4, and it's the story of Cain and Abel. Just two brothers, and spoiler alert, it does not turn out very well for either one of them. We're going to learn all about their story next week, and I am looking forward to sharing that with you and looking forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.